Dotnet Rocks episode 678 with guest Bob Martin. Recorded live Thursday, June 9th, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Hey, this is Carl and Richard down on the floor at uh, NDC, the Norwegian Developers Conference in Oslo. What's up, man? I'm looking at a larger-than-life picture of Bob Martin. I'm this, looking at Bob Martin. <laughs> I, there's something special about once you have a photo or an image of yourself that's actually bigger than you. We should make that the picture for the .NET Rock show. I totally agree. Absolutely. Right, we will. This, <laughs> this is your bio photo for the for this show. How are you? I'm Uncle fine. Bob? Thank you. I'm fine. Although it's a bit strange sitting under the shadow of a giant <laughs> Bob Martin. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're next to the Billy Hollis with the risky business yeah, look there, the, the Huey Lewis in the news <laughs> thing happening. <laughs> oh, man. So, I remember, I think I, one of the first times I met you was you were keynoting here about professionalism. Yes. I think it was a good keynote. It was a very interesting conversation. Has, has that evolved a lot, the, the sort of the, the craftsman mindset? Um, so I just finished a book on the topic. Really? Yeah, which is called The Clean Coder. Okay. Uh, so almost a sequel to Clean Code, except there's no code in the book. It's just all about, you know, what does it mean to be a professional? What, what, you know, how do you, how often should you take a bath? And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, how do you say yes and how do you Floss. say no? Yeah, things yeah. like that. It's right. A, a uh, fairly austere book that yells a lot at people. And, yeah, yeah, good. Mostly it's We need a, to be yelled at once in a while. It is a, uh, it, it, to some extent, a professional autobiography because I go through lots of, lots of t- places where I really screwed up badly. And then, <laughs> you know, I tell the story and how it ended up. And oh, that's like, valuable okay, stuff. Don't do this, yes. guys. Leading by example. Yeah. <laughs> I make yeah, the mistake yeah, yeah. so you don't have to. <laughs> no, that's really valuable stuff, though. Yeah. Um, can you relate any of those stories? Oh, sure. Um, they that would be <laughs> extremely relevant today in today's environment. I'll tell the story of a, um, a release that I did. Mm. Uh, this, this must've been 35 years ago. And, uh, there was a, um, a, a major release of the system needed to go out. Customer was expecting it. The field service manager had been leaning on me saying, we got to get it out. We got to get it out. And I got, I got it all ready. And there was one final change to put in, and I thought, oh, this is a no-brainer change. I'll just go put this thing in. And uh put it in, and it got late, and I was thinking, i got to get home, so I shipped it. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Guess what happened yeah. next. Yeah. yeah, so I got a phone call uh, from a very angry field service And the condom manager. broke, and I said, what the hell? <laughs> Yeah, so I was in on the weekend and apologizing to lots of people. It was actually a fairly serious problem because the the customer got the thing and it crashed on them and they they lost a whole bunch of work and the field service guy was getting yelled at by the customer and then they went over his head to the CEO. So it was a big nasty disaster. Mm -hmm. I got called on the carpet for it pretty well. 
and learned a really important lesson, right? Right. You don't ever ship anything without making sure the damn thing works. Yeah. So, yeah. At least spin it up. Yeah. <laughs> well, I spun it up. I just didn't. We didn't have automated tests in those days, yeah. you know, so you had to walk through all the menus by hand and, and do all this manual testing. And it's like, you know, I got I to gotta get home. Yeah. I got to ship it and I got to get home. Which one should I do? <laughs> Made the wrong choice. Yeah. No, you can't, you can't argue with that. <laughs> Well, I've done similar things. But it, it's interesting just how our infrastructure's changed around that. You know, the minute I push the build button now, or the minute I check in, all this stuff fires off. Yeah, absolutely. We just, we just take that for granted, and, really. Well, and, and hopefully we can take it for granted. We want that to be like this automatic thing that mm-hmm. we do. Check it in, build, so you get a little green light that lights up somewhere, and you can go home. Uh, yeah, right. and I just fear that we lie to ourselves, too, right? That, that we're not building the desks. You keep the test simple enough. We always pass just because the code doesn't work. (laughs) But it passes a test. (laughs) Yes. Well, it is useless to make tests that that you don't trust. Right. And this is something I try to drive home pretty pretty strongly. Right. You the the tests are a parachute that you that you wear, and Mm -hmm. you're going to jump out of a plane every time you ship. And so that parachute better be packed pretty tight. You those. You've got to trust those tests with your life. So tell us a positive story, one where some thought saved the day. Wow, I don't put any of those in the book. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're the boring ones. What, what kind of career have you had, exactly? <laughs> hey, I'm an independent consultant. There's reasons why that's true. Yeah. Would you rather read a tragedy or a fairy tale? <laughs> I've made so many mistakes, people now consult with me. Um a positive. Well, there, there, there have been a number of cases uh, that were were pretty positive, uh, and they all have to do with taking initiative that was not offered. You know, there's the old maxim, right? It's better to ask for uh, forgiveness than permission. Right. Right. So uh, uh, the major successes that I have had in my career, almost all of them have been aligned with that kind of thing. Right. right? Uh, one day, I uh, one once month, I just. Started to write a, a, an operating system and for an 8080. You know, this is like, what, 1979, 1980. Yep. Um, we just started using these 8080 chips. There was no operating system for them at all. There was, you know, no, I had no time scheduled to do this. But I said, you know, this has got to get done. Yeah, we're so I just this. did it. It's just, you know, it's like uh, everybody started using it. It became very successful. You know, I became the go-to guy for the operating system. And, you know, my, meanwhile, my boss is going, where was this on the schedule? Sorry, sorry. Yeah. I just figured it had to be done. Oh, next time, check with me. I will, I will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, nothing, but nothing succeeds like success. Yeah, right? well, they, <laughs> they, they're all using it now. If you want to take it away from them, <laughs> enjoy. It's hilarious. Yeah, well, I can't say as I've ever written an operating system. Not many of us can say that. Oh well, I wouldn't have called it. You know, by today's standards, not an operating system. Little nucleus, little task switching nucleus. Three weeks worth of work. L- little kernel. Little kernel. There you go. Yeah, yeah. What uh, what languages are you fascinated by these days? So I'm really into closure at the moment. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. I like the language, and, and for a whole bunch of reasons. First of all, it's the um, it's the functional language, and you know the world is spinning functional right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, got to do functional languages. But the other reason is that it's Lisp, and you know here's this language from 1957. I was five years old, <laughs> right? And and it resurfaces yet again. It's this language that won't die, 
And I think there must be a reason why the language doesn't die. There's this elegance to it and this simplicity to it. So it keeps on coming back. Uh, and in the case of closure, I think Rich Hickey has done a really nice job of preserving the original elegance of the language, but also adding to it in a really minimal way all of the facilities we need to do enterprise-wide software. Hmm. So my Clean Coders site, the site where I distribute my videos, we're doing that all in closure now. We're doing the whole website in closure and, and having a blast. You know, it's just terrific. What's the underlying technology? I mean, closure is not a web technology. No, no, cl- it's actually spitting not, it's HTML out. A, does it run on the JVM? It runs on the JVM or the CLR. Mm-hmm. And so you can do it either way. You can run it in .NET or the JVM. It was originally done for the JVM, so mm-hmm. it is a... Um, that's sort of the leading line for that. Yeah, but it all of the interop you can do with Java. You can also do with with .NET. So hmm. you can call native functions. You can call class libraries. You've got the whole stack below you. So here we're doing a web server, but the 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 web server is actually Java. You know, it's right. Tom Catapachi crap like that. And what we're doing is writing the uh, just a little layer on top of that, calling down into Java mm-hmm. in our case. Uh, and managing the controllers and the views and the models in Clojure. It's very cool. Right? Yeah. And meanwhile, it's just the whole stack underneath us that's been there for the last whatever any years. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting how persistent are uh, the JVM and the CLR models are because they're they're getting old. Well, <laughs> yeah, the CLR are. is yeah, yeah, eleven yeah. years old. The yeah. JVM yeah. is fifteen. Yes, that's well, right. You say that like it's disposable. Well. What else has persisted that long? I mean, other than C++. Cobol. Uh, <laughs> Lisp now, apparently. Yeah. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at Telerik. So you know all about the power of ASP.NET MVC. But you might be in need of some good tools to enhance your productivity. Well, our friends at Telerik just shipped the latest release of the Telerik extensions for ASP.NET MVC. 18 jQuery-based native MVC extensions. Now you can enhance productivity by remaining in control of your views without having to write all HTML, CSS, and JavaScript by hand. Did I mention that the Telerik MVC extensions are also free and open source? Plus, now you can check all MVC online demos in both ASPX and Razor views since the extensions offer full support for ASP.NET MVC 3 and the Razor view engine. Download your free copy today at Telerik.com slash freemvc. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. So languages go through this cycle, right? They, mm-hmm. they climb exponentially in popularity, and then, and then they level off. And you wonder if they ever die, right? Now, COBOL, I think, is probably on the down. Yeah, been, been probably sliding down. There's a hell of a lot of COBOL code out there still. Sure. And a lot of programmers maintaining it. Mm-hmm. Right? And C, C is still pretty high up there. A lot of embedded guys are out doing C still, wondering if they should do C++. My refrigerator runs COBOL. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's called- I'm, I'm almost considering that as being a serious remark. <laughs> <laughs> Open refrigerator giving beer. Well, right. It's a refrigerator now. It used to be a mainframe computer. Uh I've been fascinated at the a- aspects of closure that seem to lend themselves to parallel execution without explicitly declaring threads or even parallelism. Yeah, well, 
the notion of functional languages in general, right, right, is that they're stateless, so you can break up the little functions and distribute them out mm -hmm. amongst the processors. We haven't really seen that used in anger. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> But there are you got ways... away with words, Uncle Bob. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are um, facilities you can use in Clojure to mm -hmm. say, "All right, I want to I want to run this function over this entire list and spread it out over a whole bunch of processors." Mm -hmm. That kind of thing you can do. Um, in the future, what we'd like to see is is where every function as it began to execute, was dispatched to a different processor. Right. Because the problem is we're going to have, you know, 40, 96 processors in our laptop. Yeah. Sure. Right? Yeah. So something's going to have to sit there. Okay, you do that, you do that, you do that. And all these functions get smeared out over all of these little processors. And if we're going to do that, then it's, I don't know how you do that without doing a stateless implementation. Sure. It's well, got to be. Well, and I think you also get in this mindset of, in, you know, up till now we've done explicit parallelism. And now we really want implicit parallelism and yeah. explicit serialization. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. have you seen uh, what the you know the parallel task team has done at Microsoft? I have not. No. It's pretty interesting. I mean, it's basically shoving that square peg in that round hole. You know, I'm not so sure that the the, the business development world is ready for functional languages. You know. That statement has echoed through the past. Um, you know, the business world isn't ready for computers. Listen, the business I, I'm world not isn't sure. ready for COBOL. Yeah, I know. I know what you're yeah. saying, but not ready for OO. Oh, oh, no. Right. I was just thinking that. I remember that debate in the 80s oh, about sure. object orientation uh, will never yeah. make it in the business world. And to some extent, that was true. <laughs> yeah. To some extent, it is true. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think what we're waiting for is the transcendent app that... This would this app would only make sense because it's massively parallel and and it's you know the visicalc of parallelism is mm, what we're asking mm. and it, that's what changed everything that suddenly it didn't matter I have to have I know I've never needed a computer before but that thing's too useful I must do this and I, I don't know what that parallelism app is neither do I yeah I mean, we, I think have, we could probably build it we have apps that are like that now yeah you know, the big web servers yeah. Are are you know very parallel mm -hmm. machines, uh, very parallel systems, um, but that's that's at a large scale. And what we're facing now is to have to reduce that down to our laptop, right? Because we have the horsepower in those machines yeah, right, to start taking right. advantage of it. I also wonder, you know, the CLR and the JVM are not very different from each other. <laughs> I mean, they're, no, they're, no, they're not. They're no, managed no. memory hmm, models. Wonder that how are, that happened? Yeah. How, yeah. The, how could that I, be? I don't, yeah, well, I don't understand. They're managed memory parallel models levels. oriented around objects. Yes. And, and objects fundamentally are the opposite of what you want for massive parallelism. I wonder if our best po possible parallel implementation has to ignore that infrastructure, has to build on it well, closer to the process. That's an interesting, that's an interesting observation because you're right. The CLR and the JVM are object based mm -hmm. or at least they, you know, they were, they were meant to support no language. Right. Now we've got these implementations of, of closure and F sharp and Scala. Which are trying to be functional languages. Right. I'm not an expert on these VMs, but I wonder if that's just not a good fit. Well, it's you know you put a steering wheel on a cow, right? Like or, or on a horse. Yeah. It, it, okay. So one of the cases where they don't fit 
is tail tail call optimization. Mm-hmm. Neither of these VMs do tail call optimization particularly well. JVM just doesn't do it at all. And for folks who don't understand tail call optimization, it, like oh, when you're making recursive calls, if you if you make the right kind of recursive call, then the optimizer will turn it into a go to to the back to the top of the function again instead of pushing the stack. Right. So you can have infinitely recursive functions because they're without really piling up the stack to yeah. the overflow. Okay. So if all you right. write a function like that. A supposedly infinite recursive function in Java, it will blow the stack. Right. And it shouldn't. And if you write one like that in the CLR, there are cases where it'll blow the stack and cases where it won't. I've been trying to figure out where the CLR differs from the JVM. There are some issues. Want to hear the geekiest joke I know? Probably the oldest one. All right. You know what you get uh, when you look up recursion in the dictionary? (laughs) It says C recursion. Yeah. (laughs) You know know what book that was in? Probably 1970-something. It might have been, but the first time I saw it was in uh, the second edition of, of the C++ programming language by Jarnus Sturstrup. Wow. <laughs> yeah. There's, uh, there's a few little Easter eggs so in see, the index. Some things never die, nope. Richard. It's all good. But and, I, mean, I love this case you cited there because it's just been this sort of intuition of we've mm, built yeah. all, all of this belief on objects for so long that we're sitting on an infrastructure that thinks object, and now we're managing to shoehorn functional behavior on top of it. And I just wonder when that's going to break down. Well, in parallel behavior. Mm-hmm. Parallel behavior. And, and functional behavior is inherently recursive. Right. So now we have this mismatch. Yeah. And Clojure dealt with it by coming up with an artificial structure. You don't do recursion. Mm-hmm. You do this thing that looks like recursion but isn't. Uh, and then uh, Scala did it by faking it out and, and the F-sharp did the same. Mm-hmm. But you're right. Yeah. Now... My question is, how did these virtual machines get implemented without tail call optimization? Because mm-hmm. tail call optimization was born in 1957. <laughs> what, what, what happened along the way that we lost that little seed of knowledge? Uh, those programmers died, <laughs> They're dead. They are gone. They are mm. no longer influencing <laughs> us. You know, they are certainly no longer influencing us. Or now they are, but they just weren't then. Right. Yeah, and yeah, these are old issues. I mean, you just like I said, the re- return of these different languages yeah, yeah. is really about you know what has really happened. It can't just be the hardware. Have we just run the course on objects? They're as good as they're going to get. So I did a talk here at the conference called "The Last Programming Language." Nice. And my my thesis was that it was closure, although that's not exactly serious. But the the gist of the talk was that. Have we seen it all? Right. Have we explored the area of languages? Mm-hmm. Have we have we seen every kind of language there is? And if we have, should we start to prune down the tree mm-hmm. and pick a few, or maybe even one, right. and say that this is our language, we're using it? This is the winner. Now, there's a bunch of arguments why that's not a good idea, but there's also arguments why it could be a very good idea. Mm-hmm. Other industries have done this. Mathematicians did it. The electronics industry did it, medicine, biology, the chemistry. Idea paring down could apply to uh, just adding constraints to the languages that already exist for the purpose of uh, for the purpose of just simplicity. I remember talking to somebody about F sharp and they liked the idea that all variables were mutable or Im- immutable. immutable. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Unless all variables immutable. That's right. Mu- <laughs> immutable by default. And I said, well, we have the same thing in .NET. It's called const. <laughs> What's the difference? I don't understand. You know? It's a constraint. Okay, it's automatically enforced. And, one, and that changes your behavior. 
You know what I'm saying? So I like the options saying. are there. It's just a matter of taking them off the table and maybe paring things down. But that means that really you're talking a whole new CLR. Maybe you're talking a whole new CLR. I don't know. Maybe there's a different VM that we need to run these. I wonder if we're going to have a you know sort of Ruby on Rails kind of event that it's going to be a small language from a small team coming at it from a different approach, still down to the essence, and out it comes. You know, and and in, without any of the fancy tools or backing and so forth, but it will grow on its own because it because people like it and it does things that other things can't do. Yeah. Well, that's certainly what Clojure has done mm-hmm. as a, a language. Now, it is based on the CLR, but, mm-hmm. but it was just born out of one guy's head, Rich yeah. Hickey, who just got fed up with the nonsense. And, well, and, and the interesting thing here is just thinking in terms of that abstraction. Could he build a compiler that stayed out of the managed memory space yeah, entirely? That's like, interesting. You'd interesting have your, idea. Yeah, you'd have your tail runs then. You know, you give whatever you need to implement. Actually, implement these constructs in a more efficient way than going through this that thick layer of CLR. I, I find it interesting that a lot of the issues that we were so concerned with in the 32-bit world are no longer big deals in the 64-bit world just simply because we have gobs of memory now. (laughs) You know, like memory management and memory leaks. Oh, I don't know. When's the last time we actually were concerned about memory leaks? I mean, yeah, we are, but you don't, you know, they, you won't pack them in at TechEd talking about memory leaks. I still have to reboot my iPhone every once in a while. Mm -hmm. But you're right. We just don't think, and our languages are pretty much taking care of that with the garbage collection. Right. Well, you still had to do that dispose pattern and all yeah, that kind of stuff yeah, 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 yeah. that, you know, sort of built in now. We don't really think about it all that much. But we also have that, yeah, we have an overabundance that we can afford to not manage memory very tightly. You know, we've had these conversations with, uh, with the folks that like the radio astronomers that are still writing in C because every cycle counts for the sheer volume yeah, of data right, yep, they're yep, handling. Yep, mm-hmm. And, you know, um, for us, poor folks building CRUD apps. That's just not that important. It's just not important. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's not that bad to reboot at midnight, huh? <laughs> yeah. It's amazing how much that fixes. You know? We just embrace this. This machine needs to be kicked hey, once a day. Just reboot it. <clears throat> yeah, just yeah, add another machine and reboot that at one, and yeah. then you're okay. So it was interesting you mentioned the, the gobs of memory we have. Not only do we have gobs of memory, we have gobs of CPU cycles. Right. And... and and now we've got gobs of uh, gobs of, of cores, storage right? and cores. So I did a um, a calculation a while back, um, comparing my laptop to a PDP eight that I had worked on forty years ago, mm-hmm. and I came to this conclusion that if you multiply the speed increase times the memory increase times the offline storage increase times the power consumption and the cost and everything else, you get twenty two orders of magnitude. Holy cow! Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so here we got these machines that are twenty two orders of magnitude more powerful than the first machine I worked in, with, right? Yeah, you know, in the late sixties. And what have we done with them? You know, and our, what have we done with them from a software sense? We still write code that had its birth in the 50s. Right. In, We're still in, writing if statements. You know, we got ones, we got zeros, we need something else. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so everybody always says, well, there's quantum computing coming, you know. Okay, so then you got one zero and I some guess, superposition. You know, that's, a, yeah. that's a flip way to say, well, you are constrained by the architecture of the computer. Mm-hmm. And what you can do. Yeah, we got von Neumann machines. But it is remarkable how, how much 
progress the hardware has made, and yet here we are, you know, writing code, and it's the same code. I, I, I gave a talk to a group not too long ago, and, and I was describing this issue of 22 orders of magnitude. And one of the guys said, well, writing code must have been a lot different back then. And I said, you know, it wasn't that different at all. Hmm. Right? It, was, it was the same kind of code. Yeah, it's faster now. We've got better tools now. But if you took a programmer from 1968 and brought him into the future, you'd have to give him 24 hours to get over the shock of what he saw. But right. then he'd sit down at that machine he'd and he'd write code. He could probably read the language. He could read it. He could write it. It wouldn't be a big shock. To mm-hmm. him. That much wouldn't. Yeah. The, the basic concepts of, of branching and looping and so forth still Same exist. I.O. Yeah. It's yeah. Not that different. So we've been riding on a technological revolution, but we have not experienced our own mm-hmm. technological revolution. And again, we get back to what is the shape of that next language and just different way of thinking about the problem. Are we so, constrained by our minds? <laughs> well, certainly, and by mm-hmm. our languages and by everything Some else. of us are more constrained than others, mm-hmm. but... Mm-hmm. No, I guess what I'm saying is the the language has to be something that your brain can understand, and it has to be abstract enough, and it has to be readable and uh, and expressive. I mean, these are all things that I see our modern languages are. You know, maybe I just don't have a good enough imagination. I do think that the skip over to functional language is one of those brain twisters. It just takes time to think functionally. It does, yeah. It's just a, well, you get used to it after a while. It doesn't take that long, but it's at first it's a, it's a real jolt not to have an assignment statement. Right. Did you ever see um, Dick Gabriel's, uh, I can't remember the other guy, they, they do a talk called 50 and 50? So they pre- they present 50 languages in 50 minutes using 50 words each. Wow. Right, And they alternate back and forth on the screen. And the range of languages that they describe is, is just unbelievable. There's one language that has nothing but white space. Space <laughs> does one thing, tab does another, carriage turn does another, and you oh, write programs. On. Yes, no, seriously. Serious. There's another one that is nothing but rectangles of different colors. What? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Now, come on. Yeah. No. No. True. True. These languages exist. They're obviously jokes, but they exist. They, you know, yeah. there's another language based on well, Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Every program is a sonnet. Nice. <laughs> That's just silly. Yes. But if you need if you need a list of fifty languages, you're going to be looking for just about anything because the fifty languages is a lot. Fifty languages is a lot, but but there sure have been a lot. Mm-hmm. A lot of different experiments in that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Brings us back to this whole lisp idea. I mean, I just don't like braces that much. Ah, well, you'd like closure then because we have many different kinds of braces. Oh, okay. Oh, yes. We don't just use Are any of them colored rectangles? <laughs> <laughs> in the IDE, yeah. It colorizes them. No. Yeah, we use we use parentheses and square brackets and a few other different kinds to kind of break up the whole parentheses right. thing in closure. Yeah, yeah. But it's still the same language. Stacks and stacks of yeah, graphics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of parentheses. Although, if you uh, if you talk to Stuart Sierra, he was here at the conference uh, today. He'll he'll show you side by side comparisons of of .NET or Java programs and the corresponding Lisp programs. And the Lisp programs all have fewer parentheses than the others. Interesting. Yeah, they're just they it's tend just, to be they denser. Clump. Yeah, they clump up. They, they clump and they clump at the end. Yeah. At Franklin's Net right now, you can get a DVD with over 11 hours of Billy Hollis on Silverlight 4 or 14 hours of Sahil Malik on SharePoint 2010, each for only $6.95. Order online at www.franklins.net. Are you looking to change jobs? Infusion Development has offices in New York City, Toronto, London, Dubai, and Poland. 
Infusion has hired a whole handful of happy .NET Rocks listeners. Contact me for an introduction at carl at franklins.net. So let me go down this rabbit hole for a bit here and talk about, you know, the technical revolution in languages. The construct of a loop. <laughs> okay, this is something that probably any programming language needs, don't you think? Are there programming languages that do not need loops? So, Lisp does not have a looping structure. It has a recursive structure. Okay. But there is no looping statement. There is no way to say while. So a recursion is essentially a loop. Yes, but recursion is a different kind of loop. You don't say, well, break this break this set when i becomes 0. Yeah. You you have to decompose the problem in a different way. So yeah. the recursive loop is fundamentally different from the iterative loop. Hmm. All right, and <laughs> so <laughs> okay, because you don't have an iterator, you don't, yes. you know, you're not really setting from this number to that number. You're saying you keep calling it till you're done. I mean, it's whileish. Yeah, it it is iterative. Yeah, and it's not broken it. into a block of code. And no, it's just re-entering the code you're already in. Right. It's a fun way to think, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. I'm trying to think of some <laughs> so, other some other programming constructs that that every language needs to have. Well, I just gave a talk. A variable. A variable. Variables. Let's, let's, okay. So let's get fundamental. Here. Yes, variables. So in in .NET or Java, you have variables and you can assign them. And in a Lisp-like language, you don't get that. You have a variable that you can initialize, but you can't then reassign it. So if you want, because it's immutable. It's immutable. Right. So if you want to change its state, well, you can't change its state. But what you can do is you can pass it into another function. Right. And you can modify it as you pass it into another function. You can say v plus 1 into the next function. And then it can say, well, v plus 1 again into the next function. So you get this effect of modifying state without actually modifying it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, that's I get that yeah. from functional. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm, yeah. It's just a question of whether it's better, you know. Or whether it's approachable like by we're really talking about business programmers here yeah 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 i know yeah. i know the vb guys <laughs> you know <laughs> and how are we going to get business programmers to write code that can be parallel distributed off onto 4096 cores right how well i think we train them on some basics and trust that programmers are really programmers and they're not dullards. They can, in fact, learn these things. They can learn, oh, recursive style and functional style to the extent where they can, they can write reasonable code but on a massively parallel system. Only, that it, only if it provides some new value that the old languages didn't provide. The ability to run on a massively parallel right. system. So that we, would be the value. We, need, we need a workload that, need, that utilizes that, that provides something unique. Yeah. So... Do you have a series of katas, then, maybe, for functional programmers? I do not have a set of katas. However, there is a uh, an associate of mine who has produced a set of cones. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if you pronounce that word, cones or coens, but... Yeah, yeah I'll go with cone. K-O-A-N, okay. So, like yeah. a zen cone. Yes, yes. So these are the, the closure cones, and you go through it, and... Write all these little... In Alaska, they call them snow cones. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It's the end of the day. We're a little punny. It is the end it's of the day. It's very cool stuff, though. I mean, you know. Well, it's very geeky. Yeah, yeah. it's very geeky. But I do think that you struggle to make the business case. 
I mean, yeah. it's nice that you want to utilize my processors, but what are you getting me? You know, I, I, I get you software that can be distributed on multiple cores. Right. I guess it really, it really comes down to, you know, seeing is believing, right. you know, seeing some really good, some really good examples of apps written the OO way and write them the same way sure. in a functional sure. way. And we're seeing that. We're seeing mm-hmm. lots of folks doing financial software and closure and an F sharp and trading software and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So, we'll see. Next five years will be interesting. Still, yeah, very much in the experimental phase. How about yeah. an ASP.NET pipeline in F sharp. <sighs> I don't think anything good will come of that. <laughs> well, a pipeline is essentially a series of calls and mm-hmm. functions that get passed on to each other, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It is absolutely the yeah. What is it going to buy us that we didn't already have? Yeah, and that has to be a synchronous operation too, mm-hmm. which is another. Yeah. Problem. Limiting feature. <laughs> well, it's a problem for an asynchronous language to, yeah. to implement a synchronous. Yeah. Bad things happen. Bad things. Hey, man. Bob, we got to come up with an app. Got to come up with a revolutionary app that needs many, many cores and changes everything. See these machines around here that are doing like the Xbox thing? The Connect. Yeah. Holy crap. How are they doing that stuff? And now, there's those the, like little NVIDIA processors in there. The little, yeah. You know, yeah. those. Three of them. Little tiny processors in mm-hmm. there zipping around like A lot like of crazy. parallelism. And they're writing that in C. Yeah. Doing it the hard way. Well, and it, we still have this line where that utilizing that hardware well means staying pretty low level yeah. to get maximum utilization yeah. from it. Yeah. We're, we're not at the place where we have bound to, like we had bound of memory, so we'll let the memory manager handle the memory. We could, in theory, do it better, but I'd rather do an, have it do an average job that uh, doesn't waste any of my time. I think there's a, there are parallelism opportunities that look like that. How about a, you know, the functional language down at the hardware level? So the people have tried to make Lisp machines. That was uh, hmm. something that people did a while back. Let's write a machine based on Lisp. Okay. Okay. Did it get anything? No, from I don't think. Yeah, nothing good here. No. They had a lot more parentheses in their lives. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, this show's completely down the tubes go. now. Yeah. I'm down at the bottom. I'm just cracking jokes yeah. now, man. Mind your brackets. Yeah. Okay. Take Is that a show? Right. Uncle Bob, thanks very much. Yeah, my pleasure. Where can we see you uh, speak on the, in other places? Oh, man. Um, I don't think I'm scheduled for a conference for a good long time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some time and stay home. Well, wow. give us your website. Uh, cleancoder.com and cleancoders.com. That's the video site. Nice. All right. Bob Martin, thank you very much. You're welcome. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com.
Transmitter band by the FCC and Summer.